Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth being broadcast on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse from the island of Antigua. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me as usual is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening this afternoon. Let me just encourage you that this is a live call-in program, and we are here to interact with you, and we love your interaction with us. Whether it be a question, maybe it's a proposed topic that you'd like to have discussed here on That's Truth on a future episode. And for this program, you can also join us on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can see behind the scenes what goes on in the studio. I am very thankful that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening routine in order to join us here on That's Truth. Now, Pastor, before we get to the topic for tonight, we had a caller with about two minutes left in the program last week. Not enough time to get on the air. Uh, It was Nathan from Nevis. I know you're familiar with his voice. He called and asked the following question. Pastor, can you please share your thoughts on these verses? And the verses that he's asking about is Luke 9, 61 and 62. And let me read those. It says, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Pastor, how would you explain those verses? Well, I think those are verses that, um, in my judgment, uh, somewhat expose the shallowness uh, in which we present the gospel today. And I think one of the big mistakes is that we make Christianity uh, something that is is so, um, so easy that we never try to explain to people that there's a need to count the cost. Even our Lord himself uh, pointed out on another occasion that your man doesn't sit down and attempt to build a house except to count the cost or go to war without counting the cost. And I think it's a classic example of what he was talking about. Uh, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and uh, he's confronted by one man who appeals and said, I'll follow you. And then there are two other individuals who um, fall in the same strain uh, of thought. Uh, but this particular person um, uh, uh, said he's willing to follow the Lord, but let him go home first and bid farewell, and then he'll come to follow follow the Lord. And the Lord said, him, it's, you know, personally, this is not fit for the kingdom of God. Um, a few things I'd like to just share here with that. You know, when we're dealing with a person coming to Christ and desiring to follow him to become a disciple, there are two central truths that we must get across to people. Uh, first of all, of course, is the need of repentance, that is turning away from sin. But then there's also the need of not only turning from sin, but turning to God. Uh, 
You turn to God for forgiveness, for pardon. But you also turn to God to establish a relationship that's an ongoing relationship. And you are prepared to submit to his, uh, his leadership. In this case, uh, this young man clearly has other priorities. Uh, he, his language, by the way, uh, shows that it is very incongruent what he's saying. Uh, for one, he says, Lord, I'll follow you, but. And then he lays down conditions under which he would pursue that follow-up that, um, that follow uh, of the Lord. And the Lord uh, points out to him, uh, quite frankly and, and very uh, strongly, that following him uh, requires strict obedience and immediate obedience. The other thing I'd like to, to just point out uh, in, in the passage is that when this man says, let him go home and bid farewell to his family, and then he'll come and follow the Lord, uh, you've got to understand that this is not a um, going and say goodbye. Uh, according to those who have done the studies and the, the customs of that time, a person making that kind of a farewell um, gesture uh, would actually be involved in a party that might last from one to two weeks. Wow. So this is not just saying, Mom, I'm gone. Uh, this is a person that um, is going to have a last fling, as it were, and then he's going to come and follow the Lord. Uh, but our Lord uh, is the one that said, follow me. And the Lord expects immediate obedience. Uh, he's either Lord or he's not Lord at all. And in this man's case, as I pointed out, uh, he has laid down preconditions. And uh, our Lord says to him, a person who has this kind of attitude uh, is not fit for the kingdom of God. The word fit there, uh, the Greek word is an entitos. And it means uh, ready for use, or fit or adapted for purpose. And of course, if he's going to be a disciple of Christ, uh, our Lord is saying, a person like you, you're not ready to be used in the kingdom, and you're not fit because you're not willing to adapt to my demands of you. So he's actually uh, pointed out that there are um, conditions of becoming a follower of his as a disciple. And I might add here, by the way, that the em- the emphasis in the New Testament is not about making converts. The emphasis in the New Testament is about making disciples. You see that even in Matthew chapter 28. It's not just about uh, chalking up numbers and getting people to bow their heads and say a sinner's prayer that they said in a mechanical way. And the, the point in the Scripture is always to uh, lead someone to conversion with a view to an ongoing relationship with God in, in the concept of discipleship. And this is what this truth is all about. People need to understand that when they really come to saving faith in Christ, it involves a commitment of an ongoing relationship. It's not that I come to God to escape hell and I get an insurance policy that if I die, I, I, I go to heaven. That's not what conversion is about. Uh, it involves repentance, where I'm under the burden of my sin, and I say I need forgiveness. But it also understanding that when I turn away from my sin, I'm turning to God to establish a relationship with Him and to serve Him and to live for Him, to glorify Him, to worship Him, to praise Him, and uh, to serve Him. And I I think our Lord is trying to get that across. And we as pastors and leaders have got to get away from this easy believism that we teach people and this idea of bow your head and say a sinner's prayer and, and don't explain to them what the Christian faith is all about. And that's why people don't last. They don't understand the kind of commitment they're making. And then when things begin to happen... Uh, they just evanesce and disappear 
and uh, seem to have lost faith. The problem is they never had real faith because we never really dug down deep to find out if what they wanted, they really understood the gospel. So a lot of explanation needs to be done, especially in our day, by the way, because um, we are living in a generation that we have so diluted the gospel that I don't think it's recognizable today. And that's one of the great faults of the church. Pastor, what do you think has led to the growth of this easy believism? Well, I think if you check, check history, I, I think um, a lot of the big evangelists had a lot to do with it, to be very honest with you. Really? You're talking yeah. like Billy Graham? Yeah, I'm ta- not just Billy Graham. I'm talking about um, um, uh, this guy that was a baseball player. Uh, Sunday? Uh, Billy Sunday and those kind of guys. I mean, before... Uh, people went into a room and they, they, they sometimes an invitation was not even given when people came to down the aisle. It was not I trying to pull you down the aisle. It was God pulling you down the aisle. It wasn't I trying to tell you a tear-jerking story at the end of the, the message to get you down the aisle and to tell you, you know, well, you know, and, and it's very funny. If you raise your hand, I'm not going to call you up. And then after you raise your hand, now if you're really serious, uh, you know, you're, you're playing psychology with the minds of people. I When I see that... Uh, I am so disappointed yeah. that you tell a person you're not going to call them forward. Uh, if you raise your hand, you're only going to pray for them, and then you carry them through this rigmarole. But you know your ultimate goal is to get them down the aisle because you want to see the altar flooded. I think that is part of the, 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 the thing that caused it. Um, but I, I think over the years as well, um, I think people try to avoid, um, I mean, the gospel is free. We know the gospel is free. It is by faith alone. And uh, people were a little bit concerned about um, emphasizing too much the aspect of discipleship. So we softened the message uh, so that becoming a believer was not becoming a disciple. Uh, We had a two-stage program. You get saved now, and then maybe 10 years down the line you surrender your life. That's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible teaches. But that that happened, and we all have to admit, and you look back in retrospect, it uh, it was a very common part of uh, what went on in the past. And I think... It grew worse and worse and worse and worse. And then numbers became so important, crunching numbers. And people were more concerned about saying that we had 50 walked down the aisle or 20 walked down the aisle. It wasn't so much a concern with these genuine converts or not. It was that they came down the aisle and so we chalked up numbers. So I think that is part of the, the whole issue. And then the other thing I would say, Nathan, that indirectly, I think mission boards... Uh, have been, have to accept part of responsibility for this because when a missionary is on the mission field and he has to give a report every three months or every year or every six months and uh, the report keeps coming in that and there's no records of people making decisions and making faith, you almost force people, <laughs> force people to go out there and just grab somebody by the neck and get them to make a profession just to say, you know, well, we had five converts. It is sad that that is the case and was the case. But unfortunately, um, unless you can write and talk about tons of people being saved, people think you're doing nothing. And it has pretty much uh, forced uh, missionaries uh, to really soften the gospel, I think, and perhaps even be unethical in certain things in order to uh, remain on the mission field. So there are a lot of factors. I think the mission board is to deal with it. I think also the, um, the softening of the message. Um, and, of course, the great evangelistic movements, um, which were not bad in themselves, but I think they created the environment for this kind of easy believism. I find it interesting that you mentioned the mission boards. And being a missionary, uh, I would add to that I think even some churches possibly 
Uh, I know I filled out questionnaires or were given questionnaires where there was an expectation you could read between the lines on the questions, and there was an yeah. expectation of uh, how many uh, people have you led to the Lord in the last uh, 30 days, how many people yeah. have you led to the Lord in the last seven days, that type of thing. Yeah, I think, Nathan, we had a classic example of that uh, some time ago in our church when we had a crusade in one of the villages here, and we had a, a group come down from the States, and uh, we had some young men go into a, 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 either a shop or a house or a veranda and come back boasting that within a short space of time they led so many to the Lord. It was almost comical. Yeah. Uh, but they were they really felt that because they got somebody to bow their heads and say a word of prayer that they were truly converted. And uh, The problem with that is after they leave, the fruit in the pudding is in the eating. And uh, you don't see those people around. So, you know, this is not something genuine. Uh, and I I suspect that when they go back to their churches, they'll make all kinds of grandiose um, presentations that uh, seem as though they've done such a tremendous job in a, in a short space of time. And um, sad to say that a lot of that is false, completely false. But that's the reality, and that's an indication of the spiritual state of the church, that they're more concerned about numbers than genuine conversions. And um, they want something quick for their money, basically. It's almost like business, uh, part of the sad aspect of um, commerce entering into the church, and etc. As you were talking there, I was thinking of the verse, depart from me, I never knew you, and how many people who have been led in, a, in the sinner's prayer and have that kind of tucked away in the back of their mind that I'm a believer, and when they are uh, before the judgment seat and are asked... And Christ says, depart from me. I never knew you how sobering and how sad that will be. Yeah. I, it's an, uh, like, look, even when I was in St. Vincent and we had uh, ten crusades, um, I've had people who would, um, after the crusade, speak to people and come and tell me, well, you know, we've had so many people save. And uh, I always was suspicious of that. And, and, and in some cases, for example, um, they never dealt with people living in immorality. Hmm. I mean, what I'm saying to you that you, you, you lead a person to Christ, they're living in a house with a person, and uh, they don't tell them you're going to deal with that. They just go back and continue the lifestyle. Now, what, what have they repented of? Right. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, that uh, bothered me, and I had to draw that to their attention. And so when they face cases of that nature, um, I wanted them to refer them to me so I can at least approach the matter because uh, I don't think they were doing enough plowing work to let those people understand what real sin is and what it means to repent. Uh, I'm of the opinion that when a person is converted, that the one area that I am very sure that the Lord attacks is the area of um, where there's a predominating sin in, in the life because that is normally the thing that keeps you from being converted. It could be pornography. It could be movies at the time if you felt guilty about that. Anger. Uh, anger. You know, it doesn't have to be any one of those, those, those kind of things, but it could be that. But there's always something there that is predominating that you don't want to give up. And I find that when you get converted, that's the particular area. There are many other things, but he knocks that in particular because that's where you need to surrender. That's where you need to turn away from. Um, but I don't think that we, we do an adequate job in drawing this to people's attention. We are so much concerned about having to make a decision without the repercussions of what that decision signifies and what it will affect, uh, how it will affect their lives. Um, I think we need to change our whole mindset on this whole matter. 
You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua. The voice that you hear teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. He has pastored a number of churches on a number of different islands throughout the Caribbean over the last 30 years. The time on this Tuesday evening is 7.46 in our studios and across the Eastern Caribbean. There are a number of ways that you can get in touch with us. This is a live, interactive program, and we look forward to your interaction. You can call and be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454, or you can go to Facebook Live. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your question or your proposed topic on Facebook Live, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Uh, Pastor, did you have anything else you wanted to mention in relation to Luke 9, 61? No, I think think, um, if the person is not satisfied with that answer and he wants me to elaborate uh, more on it, I I would prepare to do that. But I think the whole whole thing there is that it's a matter of following the Lord and uh, understanding that it involves a commitment that's an ongoing commitment. And that his lordship means that you submit to him and you lead, lead, you don't lay down preconditions for him. If he's lord, <laughs> lord means he's master. So he should be the one dictating the conditions. Uh, and uh, we have, we've turned this whole thing around. And our lord is just joined to attention that a uh, person of that nature is not ready. And um, he's not fit really because he cannot really be used in the kingdom. This evening, we're going to continue a discussion that we started four weeks ago on the Word of Faith movement, or otherwise known as the Prosperity Gospel. We started it four weeks ago, and then we put it on hold to answer your questions. And we are always excited to get your questions and more than willing to put the topic for the evening on hold to answer your questions. But we're going to jump back in. And, Pastor, seeing as how it's been a whole month, uh, can you give just a real brief rehash? Uh, the first thing that you talked about was what the word of faith meant, word of faith movement was. Yeah. Okay. The, the gist of the concept behind the word of faith movement. Uh, it's a fairly modern uh, religious movement that um, believes that uh, a believer um, has the ability to speak faith words. And when speaking faith words, it creates power that obligates God to give the believer what he wants or do what the believer wants. So the key thing here is that uh, he must have uh, faith, and the words that he express faith in those words create his own reality. Uh, I mentioned that the this movement, by the way, uh, goes under different headings. Sometimes it's called the health and wealth gospel. It's called the name it and claim it theology. Uh, you're always also uh, familiar with sowing the seed, name it and claim it. All of these are synonyms that are used in conjunction with that, that movement. But it's essentially um, believing that faith is a power. And uh, once you tap into this power, uh, you obligate God uh, to do what you want and give you what you want. That's just an essence of what the faith movement is. Can you mention or remind us of some of the key names that we need to associate with this movement from a historical standpoint? Yeah, definitely the, the grandfather of this whole movement, a guy called E.W. Kenyon. Um, he is the one that helped formulate and develop the theology of, of the group. Um, but the thing about it, about uh, Kenyon, that he borrowed a lot of his ideas from the guy that started New Thought, a guy called Phineas uh, uh, Parkhurst Quimby. 
and um, he took a lot of the ideas of uh, the New Thought uh, philosophy and and uh, kind of um, integrated them into his theology, such things as uh, sickness and suffering have origin in incorrect thinking, so you need to think differently and your mind can control your sickness. Uh, man can create his own reality uh, through the power of positive affirmation. In other words, the, the thoughts that we, positive thoughts that we have, we, we actually can decide our happiness or, or, or misery. And then, of course, the idea of creative visualization. Uh, if we can see something in our minds and dwell on it, we can make that thing actually happen and become real in our lives. And then, of course, affirming uh, um, with the mouth, uh, transform uh, intangible, intangible images into tangible realities. It's all about using words and words having power, etc. So that was uh, the guy, uh, Kenya. But then there's a guy, William Branham. I think people have know a little bit about him. Uh, he was a faith healer. Um, uh, he was one responsible during uh, help to influence what is called the latter day uh, movement or revival movement that was supposed to come with the latter rains uh, he had some very strange doctrines Nathan he believed that um, Eve's sin was to c- commit sex with the serpent and that's how Cain came about I'm, I'm telling you what he, what he believes okay uh, he also believed that uh, you must only baptize in the name of Jesus not the name of the Father and the Son that's where that comes from yeah uh, yeah that's that's the root of this whole thing okay. and he he also um believe that if you're going to escape the tribulation and get the rapture, you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then, of course, um, he abominated the Trinity. There is no such thing as the Trinity. But you'd be surprised that there are books in Christian bookstores today that are being sold. Uh, you'd be surprised at whose bookstores are being sold, that, that mm-hmm. he's one of the characters. But Brannon um, is another big name. And then there's the guy, Kenneth Hagan, who people call the father of the movement. He's a guy that started out by first uh, preaching the memorized sermons of Kenyon. And uh, he, uh, being a, a, an evangelist, uh, began to spread uh, the word. Um, so he is one of the most prominent uh, evangelist uh, healers uh, that helped to propel the movement. When he died, he handed it off to his son, uh, Hagen Jr. And then people probably have heard of the guy Copeland, who started his ministry in 1973. He's regarded as the second most important leader uh, within the movement. Um, he also memorized Hagen's messages and started out preaching Hagen's messages. But he has made some of the most blasphemous statements uh, that you could ever um, conceive. Uh, he said that God was the greatest failure of all time. Uh, he said that Satan conquered Jesus at the cross. And he described um, devils tormenting Jesus in hell and described Jesus as the emaciated, uh, poured-out little worm of a spirit. Uh, this is a leader within the movement making such blasphemous statements. This is Copeland. This is Copeland. This is Colo- Co- Copeland. Uh, and then uh, the other names that I think people are might be familiar with, Frederick Price, uh, there's a guy, Robert Tilton. Um, you've probably heard of Maurice Corello, Benny Hinn, Joel Austin, Joyce Myers, all of these are part of this Word of Faith movement. And, of course, the uh, the guy, uh, Paul Youngie Show, the pastor of the largest church in the world with over 400,000 members uh, from South Korea. All of these are part of this whole uh, movement um, um, called the Word of Faith movement. I would be curious in a discussion with someone of the Word of Faith movement if sickness is 
a result of false thinking, how they would respond to the passage where Jesus, uh, remember his disciples said, uh, Master, who sinned, this man's parents? Yeah. And he said, no. For the glory of God, yeah. basically. Yeah. Look, the, the movement, what is amazing is how appealing and attractive this movement has become. And it seems as though people have suspended the the power of discernment and using discrimination, using the scriptures to, to judge this movement. Um, people have just bought um, the entire package and would not examine what these men teach. I could almost spend a program just quoting them. Uh, what they've said, and you see that uh, you find it um, baffling that people could make those kind and get away with it. Uh, I make statements like that, I'd be removed from the pulpit almost immediately, but somehow these guys have been able to survive, and not only survive, but thrive. And not only thrive, been able to spread the heresy so that there's so many others who uh, embrace it until it's become a massive monolithic movement that is becoming very global. I mean, you cannot turn on TBM, for example, without seeing several of these people. And uh, and that's not you're not hearing them saying what they're saying in their books, in their writings. Uh, but uh, there needs to be a very careful uh, examination of these people and bring them under the authority of God's Word and the scrutiny of God's Word and see what they teach, how it compares, and to take uh, whatever action is needed to address the heresies that they're teaching. It's a great reminder to be as the Bereans were and compare everything back to Scripture. The third thing you talked about when we begin spoke about this topic previously was what aspects of these organizations or ministries um, are associated with this movement. Well, there is what you call the International Convention of Faith Ministries that was founded in 1979. Uh, it's a kind of a ministerial association out of Arlington, Texas. Uh, not all faith ministers belong to this group, but this is a, a, a common um, um, organization, basically, that uh, many of them belong to. Then you've probably heard of uh, the Rima Bible Training Center. Uh, this is out of Higgins Ministries, which they train teachers and trained ministers. Um, that is also a part of the system. And then there are certain publishing houses. There's one called Faith Library Publications, which is a leading publish- publishing house for the movement. And add to that, uh, magazines, Higgins Magazine is the Word of Faith, and Copeland's Magazine is uh, Believer's Voice of Victory. These are some of the main uh, um, organizations and um, magazines and books, etc., that are associated with the, this movement. And then we finished out the previous episode discussing this topic with talking, starting to talk about what some of their core doctrines are. And as I recall, you were starting to talk about the living apostles. Yeah, we, we talked about the fact that they believe that they're still living anointed apostles and prophets today. And they feel that the church need living apostles and prophets uh, to receive revelations and to pass these revelations on to the church. They do not believe that re- uh, the revelation stopped with the Bible, as we, we hold to. We believe the Bible is complete. We believe that God has said all that he needs to say to us. And if there's anything he's going to say, we're going to find it in the scriptures. They believe there's ongoing revelation uh, that God uh, speaks to these people. Um uh, Hagen himself uh, mentions uh, that he has had tutorials with Jesus, uh, where the Lord has taught him certain things that he is sharing in his books. Um, he, the Lord has actually had a Bible study with him, basically. This is very, very common among these, 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 this group. They're always making claims that they have some 
uh, unique relationship with Christ who is instructing them. And the, the whole thing, though, is that when you, um, when you question them on these matters, they, they threaten you. Uh, they threaten you with death. Uh, Benny Hinn uh, said the day is coming when those that attack him will drop dead. Uh, that's his exact quote. And of course, uh, Hagen himself said that a minister had actually, who opposed him, actually died in the pulpit. All of this is designed to intimidate people into silence so that they don't question the movement and the doctrines of the movement. But uh, that is one of the key areas where they, they emphasize uh, the, the living apostles and the living, living uh, prophets. Um, we do not believe that. We believe that Revelation is complete. It, uh, Genesis to Revelation is God's final word to us. And that our job now is to expound the revelation that God has given to us, that there's no new revelation being passed on to the church. What would be your biblical basis for that statement that the revelation is complete? Well, two things. The first one would be that if you read Ephesians, it says that the church was founded on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, the church was started in the day of Pentecost. So the foundation has already been laid. So clearly the prophetic gift and the apostolic gift was given to lay the foundation for the church. The church has already been established. Uh, the other thing is that the, the Bible is complete. Uh, in the New Testament, um, when Paul was there, um, I mean, and when Peter was there, the book was not complete. Uh, it was not until John wrote Revelation it was complete. So on the basis of, of a completed revelation, and by the way, anyone that reads Genesis and reads Revelations could see that one is the introduction and one is the conclusion. It is so very obvious that the marble uh, symmetry between the two is just mind-boggling that this could not have been uh, just the agency of a human being, that there had to be supernatural supervision of this whole matter. So I would say to you that the, uh, the fact that the... Uh, Bible makes it clear that that was the reason for the apostles. And the, the other thing is, Nathan, is that the qualifications of being an apostle, apostle cannot be met today. A person had to have seen the Lord in his resurrection form. You read Acts chapter 2, when they were choosing a person to replace Judas, that was one of the preconditions. Uh, unless he had been with us and had seen the Lord, he could not have been an apostle. So how can you meet that condition today? It's impossible to meet that condition today. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse or broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. For this program entitled That's Truth, we are also on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. And you can click on the Facebook Live video feed, or if you are listening to the rebroadcast of this on Saturday afternoon, you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and scroll down and look at the archived video feed, and you can listen to the program that way. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is one and a half minutes after 8 p.m. We still have 57 minutes left in the program. Plenty of time for you to call us, send in your questions via WhatsApp or text. If you'd like to call and be put live on the air, you can call 1268-462-7420. If you'd like to WhatsApp or text, you can send it to 1268-782-1450. Pastor, are there any other core doctrines you'd like to draw to our attention? Yeah, the, the other one I think is very important is that um, this concept of um, words of faith, and they've kind of redefined uh, faith. Um, generally speaking, we believe that faith, not believe, the biblical teaching that faith is in God. Uh, 
they have um, twisted a lot of scripture and now they're actually claiming that uh, God is a faith being as well and God had to use faith to create so God uh, created two words of faith uh, so they've now made God dependent on something outside of himself and, and that if that's not heretical, I don't know what is heretical. So there's something greater than God. Well, faith is great. That is the, 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 in other words, there's a law in the universe called the law of faith. God tapped into the law of faith and he was able to create because he exercised faith. And we today have got the same access to that power called the word of faith. This is where what, they, what has, is happening, Nathan, and it's a very subtle uh, heresy that's entered in, into the church, they're actually um, humanizing God and deifying man. That that's that's a subtlety that's being done. God is God is is is, is uh, being limited, as it were. Uh, but man is now having the same power that God had that God exercised. It's a very for, a very simple form of um, deifying man and, and humanizing God. But uh, to quote um, the, uh, a few words so you understand. Um, what they mean um, I want to just quote um, Fred Price for example he put it this way he said God believed in his heart that which he said with his mouth uh, would come to pass and he dared to say and it came to pass <laughs> now this is an exact quote let me read it again God believed in his heart that which he said with his mouth would come to pass and he dared to say, and it came to pass. So you, I don't know how anywhere in the world a person can sit in the pulpit or read a book and hear a man make a statement like that and not just walk out of the church and say goodbye to this heresy. But that is the, the whole idea that you find uh, throughout these uh, writings. Uh, by the way, because uh, God, as it were, has to exercise the use of this principle of faith that is a universal principle that he has to tap into, and the movement has actually uh, come to the point where um, God is now perceived to have a spiritual body so that he actually can speak. They've actually now, uh, this is very, very strange, they've even offered a description of what God looks like. And this is their description of God. God is six feet tall, has a, a span of nine inches, weighs about 200 pounds, and if you saw him, he looked exactly like a man. Uh, this is where it has led uh, from one heretical doctrine to another heretical doctrine. Uh, so that is that is part of the the, 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 the doctrinal issue that we have with uh, with a, a, a movement like this. Um, so that's another uh, doctrine that is aberrant. Uh, it is false. It is contrary to the teaching of Scripture because the Bible says God is not a man. But not only that, the Bible makes it clear that God is a spirit. See. Uh, but that's where a movement, when it gets away from biblical truth and it spouts one heresy, it has to spout another one to try to explain the first one, and it keeps escalating. To bring it back closer to home here in the Caribbean, and specifically Antigua, since that's where we're sitting tonight, is the Word of Faith movement, is this just something that you're going to see or hear on TBN, or are there churches that you're aware of in Antigua that are teaching some of these doctrines? I I can't pinpoint my, my finger on any one church, but I do know the churches in Antigua um, that um, pretty much are part of the movement. Okay. Uh, there are churches in the Caribbean that are part of the movement. 
Um, and a lot of these um, TV persons are very popular uh, with p- the audience here in Antigua. And uh, because they don't exercise discernment, they don't read what these people have written, and they just go on what is said in, in the public forum, uh, they're not aware of these doctrines that are there. Uh, quite frankly, I'm not even sure if they knew those doctrines they would bother people because people are more concerned about um, the charismatic personality. They're more concerned about, um, you know, um, can I get rich? Uh, can I can I be healthy? They're not really concerned about biblical doctrine and being correct and being orthodox. To them, that is just too mechanical. And I think that um, I, I, the, the whole matter today, we've got a religion that has form but don't have substance. And, and that's the religion that our Lord warns against. But there are groups that embrace this movement here in Antigua. You said that our Lord warns against those that have um, don't have substance. What is true salvation? True salvation, as we've pointed out several times, and it needs to be repeated again and again because there's such a misunderstanding about it, has to do with putting one's faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that we can be forgiven and pardoned by putting our faith and trust in Him. One of the important elements of that, I keep repeating, is the matter of repentance. If a man is not willing to repent of his sins and there's no conviction about his sins, that person is not ready for conversion and certainly cannot be saved. Uh, You must repent and believe. You must not just only believe, and I think this is part of the truncated gospel that is being preached. We have to call people to repentance. Uh, We have forgotten the, the word sin. Is no longer in the marketplace, uh, and, and that's not not the biblical teaching. Uh, how we're going to awaken this concept of sin apart from bringing the law of God against the conscience of men by going back and talking about the commandments? When I say the commandments, I'm talking about loving God and uh, serving God. I'm talking about not stealing, not uh, dealing with moral issues. I don't think the Bible says that, that the the law is designed by God to augment sin and I think that by neglecting that in my judgment it has not in any way uh, created the environment where people any long feel what they feel guilty about uh, and, and that's because we're not preaching against the things that the Bible condemns and part of that we soften the message so I think that um, we, we need to get back to preaching the word and in particular drawing people's attention to this need for repentance but you can't draw attention uh, need to repentance unless you begin to cut their conscience by dealing with the sins that are so predominant in society you're listening to the caribbean radio lighthouse the name of the program is that's truth and tonight we are discussing the word of faith movement the prosperity gospel there's many different names that the religious movement may be associated with, and specifically (coughs) discussing some of the core (coughs) doctrines. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is nine and a half minutes after 8 p.m. Pastor, any other core doctrines? (coughs) Yeah, another another vitally important core doctrine that is taught by them that is aberrant, aberrant and contrary to the orthodox belief is that they believe that God, man was created to be a little God. Uh, so man is a God in, in miniature. And um, when God created man, uh, when, when God created man, God pretty much made Adam the God of this world 
And when Adam sinned, that godness was legally transferred to Adam to Satan. What? That's what they believe. But get this. God cannot interfere in the world of fears because God cannot do it legally. He has to get permission from man to, to come back in and intervene. It's a Look, I, I would suggest to people who doubt what I'm saying is to read the book, The Seduction of Christianity by Dave Hunt and read the book, Christianity in Crisis by Hank uh, Hanegraaff. These are two of the most enlightening books of the heretical doctrines that have infiltrated the church. And they expose, um, using these people's own quotes from their own writings, uh, how steep in error and heresy this group is and how outlandish are the doctrines that have become commonplace in certain religious circles. Can you uh, give the titles of those two books? Um, the Seduction of Christianity, Dave Hunt, and the other one is Christianity in Crisis by Hank uh, Hanegraaff. Thank you. Those are two of the uh, books that people should read that would open their eyes to what is really going on. The Bible warns about the apostasy. It warns about the infiltration of error uh, in the end times. Doctrine of demons would become common. People would have teachers have, uh, with having itching ears. This, I believe, is what the Bible predicted that we're seeing coming to, uh, alive before our very eyes. And the, the church is sleeping as to what is happening. And I think by the time they wake up, they'll be so far drifted from the truth that um, when Sun Wan raises the alarm, uh, they will be seen as being sensationalists uh, and um, you know trying to draw attention to themselves opposed to to uh, the, 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 the scriptures. But uh, that is part of the other problem that they have. Um, um, that is one of the doctrines that alarms you. As a matter of fact, by the way, I, if we have enough time, we show that a lot of what is happening is the result of New Age doctrine that's infiltrated the church. Because part of the, the main thrust of the New Age movement it really is that man is God. He's just is so ignorant, he needs to be raised to a higher consciousness until he realizes God within himself. It's amazing that what these New Agers are saying is exactly what these new preachers are saying. And um, if we trace the history of it, we'll probably be able to show you where it really started and how it's begun to infiltrate uh, the church. But that's another, uh, another uh, aberrant doctrine that is of great concern. Um, the other one, uh, Nathan, is that uh, Jesus died spiritually and was born again in hell. Now, you heard me what I just said, right? I know that will shock you, okay? But that is what they, they teach. Um, I want to quote Hagen uh, and what he said. He put it this way. Why did he, Jesus, need to be begotten or born? Because he became like we are, separated from God. Because he, um, he, te he tasted spiritual death for every man. His spirit, his inner man, went to hell in our place. Jesus is the first person ever to be born again. Those are the exact words of Kenneth Hagen. Shocking, shocking. Uh, but are that, they claiming to use the same Bible that you and I do? I, they do, but they twist the meaning and inject meaning that is completely new in terms of orthodoxy, uh, fundamentalist teachings. Uh, they have 
concocted. In my judgment, in my judgment, this is really what I call the doctrine of demons. No yeah. question in my mind about that, right? But this is exactly what the Bible warns against: that it will be in the church in the last days. It would infiltrate the church. When you read words like this. You're saying, but how can a man not be defrocked by making these kind of statements? How can a man get a gathering of believers and making such outlandish statements? But these are people who have mega ministries. And uh, it's just like listening to some of these uh, great uh, mega church leaders today, great in terms of how people look at them. You listen to the message Sunday after Sunday. There's not one word of sin, not one word of repentance. All it's about, basically, is about the human potential. Uh, not maybe using those specific words, but maximizing your potential and uh, claiming what you want, etc., etc. This is not the gospel. This is a false gospel that's being preached, but people like it because it falls in line uh, with their own depraved desires. Uh, but this is what is happening. The church is being betrayed, and the enemy is not on the outside. He's in the inside working suddenly to undermine the very tenets and truths that the church held to. And the voices are so silent in this regard that uh, many are falling uh, to, the, to pray to these doctrines and being misled because of our silence. Do you have a question about the Bible, a question about life? question maybe that someone asked you recently and you're it has you thinking and you don't have the answer for it give us a call we would love to answer using the biblical worldview and using scripture the phone number to be put live on the air is 1-268-462-7420 if you'd rather not speak live on the air but you want to send in your question via whatsapp or text you can send it to 1-268-782 1454. If you are on Facebook Live and you'd like to send it in, you can send it in as a comment on the video feed and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. So Jesus died. This is what the Word of Faith movement teaches. Mm-hmm. Jesus died spiritually and was born in hell. Born again in hell, yeah. As a matter of fact, on the cross, Jesus took on the nature of Satan. And that's why he had to go to hell, so he could be tormented by these demons. And then he was transformed and became born again. Now, here's the problem with that, see. Every single Old Testament doctrine and teaching about the uh, substitutionary death of an animal, the animal had to be perfect, had to be without spot. So the, the one that died on the cross had to be blameless and spotless and holy. But they said, no, not what happened to the cross. He assumed the nature of Satan, see. It is such a distortion that it is frightening to believe that this is the stage we reach and there's so little discernment to call out the heresy. Some of these heresies, as you say them or as I repeat them back, it almost makes me shudder inside to even voice it. Nathan, I would suggest you that after you've read uh, Dave Hunt's book on the seduction of Christianity and this other book, you it would dawn on you how close we are to midnight. Hmm. that what has been predicted is exactly where we are right now. And we ought to be aware that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Any other core doctrines? Well, the other one is, of course, that um, we should speak words of faith like God spoke words of faith and create our own reality. Uh, Since words uh, spoken in faith uh, are inherently powerful, uh, you've heard the term, uh, there's life and death in the tongue, 
I don't know if yes, you've heard yeah. that. That's mm-hmm. one of the call, the call all, all the time. Uh, they're saying that words uh, can kill and, and, and words can heal. That's what that verse means. Of course, it doesn't mean that. We'll probably come to that later. I've had people who tell me, you know, if you say something negative, well, I, I feel, um, you know, I feel so terrible, I might die. Don't say that. Don't say that. Because they have bought into this narrative as well. They really believe it, Nathan. They really believe that if you have a negative confession, uh, like saying, I got a headache, or I got cancer, or um, I might I might fall. They're serious. You shouldn't make those kind of statements. That's a negative confession. You need to think positive, see? But the reason for that is that the words you speak are powerful words that create reality. So you can create your own reality. So if I want um, a Mercedes-Benz, I can actually get a Mercedes-Benz. I can just visualize I'm driving it. Uh, I can exercise faith to believe it, then claim it. And miraculously, it happens. Uh, no, this is magic. This is this is shamanism that is now into the church, basically. But this is a cult. Uh, this is sorcery, uh, as Dave Hunt calls it. But it's in the church, right? Because uh, the key thing about sorcery is always that you could use your mind and your words to influence reality. That's the essence of what sorcery is about. And that's what we have in the church today. Uh, but that's how it becomes so powerful. I know that when you're involved in something, uh, oftentimes your eyes may become blinded, you may become confused, not be able to, you've mentioned a number of times, not be discerning. But, Pastor, if someone was involved in this and heard these speakers saying, if you want this car, visualize it, and after it doesn't happen for a couple of years, don't you wake up to the fact that something's not right? You should. But here's the problem is that they get people who um, will confess that they need the $10,000 and uh, they visualize having $10,000 happen. This guy Cho, for example, that has 400,000 members in his church, largest church in the world, he wrote a book on Tom the Fourth Dimension. And uh, what he said in, in his book and uh, is that what you can visualize, you can actualize, basically. In other words, if I want something, I just have to visualize it and believe, and it's going to happen. Hey, the guy is serious. I mean, this is, this is not fiction I'm talking about. This guy is serious. That he, and by the way, you talk to some of these people, they're sold on it. They're sold on it. There's some people tell you, yeah, it happened to me. See, So when you can get uh, people who are become give testimony to this kind of thing, uh, there's a guy that I've seen uh, teaching on, um, I don't watch TBN, but I've seen once or twice, forget, a f- a fantastic speaker as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he's always on success. I can't know his name, but he's always on success. Uh, just to listen to him, the man really believes what he's saying. I mean, if you keep on repeating a lie again and again and again, it becomes reality to you. And you don't even see the, 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 the distinction between what is real and what is false fades. And you become self-deceived. The Bible talks about, about that, being self-deceived. And I think a lot of this is what has happened. When a person keeps teaching falsehood and um, goes contrary to God's word, I do believe that the person becomes judicially blind. I think this is what Paul talks about in relation to the Jews that because they rejected the Messiah, having had all this truth, uh, Paul said they're now in a state of blindness, judicial blindness. And, and then Paul said that, that skill is going to be removed. I think it happens to people today. When you keep uh, teaching falsehood and going against the truth, I think that God judicially blinds you 
so that you no longer can perceive and understand truth and uh, you become a sucker for falsehood. Pastor, we have a text message that has come in from Antigua. I cannot find the secret rapture in the Bible. Please explain. Will persons be given a second chance after the 144,000 Jews evangelize the world? How reliable is the Schofield Study Bible? Well, I'm not too sure what you mean by the secret rapture, because if you read the book of Thessalonians chapter 4, it is very, very clear what it says there. Perhaps we could just take a a look at it very hurriedly and um, remind the the person who is there. We pointed out in another program, by the way, that the word rapture is not in the Bible. But the equivalent Greek word, which means to, to snatch away, is the word in the Greek language that is found in First uh, Thessalonians? Um, can you just yeah, First Thessalonians. I think it's four. Chapter four. Okay, starting in verse thirteen is the coming of the Lord. Uh, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning yeah. them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep Jesus will bring with him. This, For this we, sh- we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's it. I mean, I I don't know what is so difficult for a person understanding that it's it's talking here, but when the Lord returns, uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, and then we which remain should be taken up with him. That, that's what the rapture is. This has nothing to do with the final judgment and the second coming of Christ where he comes uh, in with glory with all his saints and with the angels. Here he's taken his saints to be with him. But then he returns at the end of the tribulation uh, with, with the saints. So, uh, But that's what we, we mean here by the rapture, that, um, that the Lord is coming back for his church and um, they will be taken out before the actual judgment of the tribulation so maybe we I, I, I think we spent some time on the rapture maybe you can refer the, the person to the program that we covered uh, because to, to rehash that here now uh, takes up a lot of time uh, not be trying to avoid the issue but we think you could probably get a better understanding of it if you look at the, the program we did before yes we did spend time talking about the rapture I don't have it right in front of me I'm skimming through the hundred and 17 episodes that we've done previous. I will hear it in just a minute as soon as I find it, bring that to your attention. But Pastor, the they other also part, asked... Yeah, the other yeah. part had to do with the person get a second chance. Right. Well, again, uh, if you read Second Thessalonians um, chapter 2, um, there's a reference there that uh, those people who reject the truth, um, let me just find it, uh, are given a stern warning that uh, those who reject the truth will be given a strong delusionment so that they believe the lie uh, during this period of time. Um, um, Uh, Verse 11 says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, uh, that they all might be damned who believed not truth, 
but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Right. Uh, this is talking about the Antichrist. If you personally read the chapter 2, it's talking about the man of sin that's going to come, who's the Antichrist. And uh, it points out very clear that there will be people who, uh, during that period of time, uh, God is going to send strong delusion. Uh, this has to do with judicially blinding people so that uh, they no longer have the perception to discern that this is a false Christ and they are going to be uh, damned, as it were, because they refuse to believe the love of the truth t- today. So you've got an opportunity. Uh, the only time that you are guaranteed um, uh, opportunity to receive the gospel is now. You reject the gospel then with all the light that you have. Uh, the day is coming when you'll be judicially blinded. God did this to his own people, Israel. Uh, read uh, the book of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, and it's spelled out very clearly all the privileges that Israel had when the Messiah came rather than respond to the Messiah that rejected the Messiah. And because of that, they are now currently in a state of blindness. That's why even today, uh, there are Jews that are personally being saved, but as a nation, they've rejected the Messiah and don't even consider, consider Jesus to be a, a deceiver and a fake. Uh, and remember that their entire Old Testament um, is a record that pointed to the coming Messiah. Yet when he came, uh, they still rejected him. And as a result of that, they're known as Judas. And so when that happens, and the rapture occurs, and the people who've had exposure to the gospel and who've rejected the gospel, um, they are going to be, um, there's no guarantee of a second chance. The 144,000 Jews who become evangelists to go across the world uh, declaring the gospel, there are many Gentiles that are going to turn to faith who've never heard the gospel and never had the opportunity. But uh, now is the day of now is the accepted now is the day of salvation. We need to seize the moment that is given to us currently, and not delay with the thought that we will have a second chance. There's no guarantee in that regard, and that's a fact. There's a clear warning that delusionment is coming, so that the person is incapable of believing. So I would suggest to you, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ yourself and you believe the gospel and have had exposure to the gospel, you're playing Russian roulette with your life if you keep on procrastinating, hoping that somehow there's a future chance for you. Uh, You've got an opportunity now. You need to seize that moment. If you are interested in going back and hearing a very clear, in-depth explanation of the rapture and what we believe the Bible teaches about the rapture, you can go to our podcast online, Uh, If you just go to Google and type in That's Truth Podcast, and then it'll come up on a number of different providers, Google Podcast, Anchor, and look for episode number 95 and 96. Both of those are 90-minute episodes. Uh, Episode 95 is entitled Bible Prophecy Part 7, The Rapture Explained, and Episode 96 is entitled Bible Prophecy Part 8, Details of the Rapture Explained. And that will give you a lot more detailed information. Thank you very much for that question. And Pastor, one final part of their question, how reliable is the Schofield Study Bible? Schofield is very reliable. Um, I, uh, he's a dispensationalist. If you will hear people who are of the Reform order, uh, would would question uh, a lot of the notes in the Schofield, but generally speaking, uh, Schofield is, is is reliable, very very reliable, and um, very dispensational. Uh, I'm a dispensationalist as well, so uh, I find that um, I don't have a Schofield. I used to have one, but I don't have one. But but I, it's, it's it's fairly reliable. 
Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think my first Bible was the Schofield Study Bible, or my first uh, study Bible was. I'm trying to remember if possibly he had a note in there about the gap theory. Is the only yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a. As a matter of fact, I think uh, a lot of this is part of the. Um, I don't want to say the religious compromise that would start it, to be very honest. You try to accommodate the the uh, the scientific epochs and ages and so on and so forth. Um, they came up with a theory about this, this gap theory and so on, but that's, that's in there. I hope that answers your questions. Thank you for sending them in. If you're listening and you have a question and you'd like to call, you can be put live on the air, one 462 7420 You can WhatsApp or text your question to one 1454 or you can send us your question on the Facebook Live video feed. Uh, Pastor, back to the core doctrines yeah. of the Word of Faith movement. Yeah, the other one, uh, Nathan, that this is one that I just mentioned, um, is that they really seriously believe that um, God wants every Christian to be healthy and wealthy and that uh, the believer should not be sick. Uh, they believe that Christ's death uh, freed us from the curse of the law and uh, and um, it had within the atonement it had healing so that should be no disease and no poverty for the believer uh, they believe that healing therefore is in the atonement uh, to quote um, Frederick Casey Price he said you are suffering because you're stupid okay <laughs> uh, Copeland said God intended for every believer to live completely free from sickness and disease uh, these are statements, direct statements from these guys. I would like to introduce him to the Apostle Paul. Uh, 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 exactly. And uh, what they fail to realize, by the way, that the blessings, the spiritual blessings that uh, come to Christ, uh, the blessings that are really spiritual blessings, uh, the promise of Christ, and also the promise of the, the, the Spirit. If you look at Galatians three thirteen to sixteen, and just read that, Nathan. Yeah, Galatians three thirteen to sixteen says. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on the tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Just two points, Nathan, is that the, 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 the removal of the curse involved two things. The promise of Abraham, which is what? Christ. That the seed that would come would bless the entire world. And what is the other thing? The promise of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would come to do indwell the believer. Those are the, the spiritual promises that were given as a result of Christ moving us from under the curse of the law. It has nothing to do with being uh, guaranteed that we are not going to have uh, sickness and we will be uh, healthy and wealthy, etc., etc. So th they really believe that we, the same way we claim forgiveness of our sins, in that same way we should claim health and prosperity because it's our right. Um, Hagen uh, claimed that when he would feel a headache, um, he would say, in the name of Jesus, I do not have a headache. 
and he said the pain would just go away. <laughs> no, the, the guy is serious. He, he said serious. Is it possible that some of that really does happen? And I don't mean to over-sensationalize, but that there yeah, actually it, is it, demonic influence? I don't know if it's, it's uh, necessary demonic influence. I do think it is. Um, there's a, a psychological term for it. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, and there's also something called, um, uh, it's just like a placebo. Okay. You know, if you, you, you believe you're sick, you can come into the doctor's office and um, he talks to you and then he gives you a placebo. It's, it's just sugar. You go home, you tell, I feel well. It's a psychological connection there that your, your mind can affect your body. And uh, in, a, in a real sense, you can, you, can, you can almost reason yourself into a state of, um, of, 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 health, of, of a happiness. So there is a psychological thing there. But I think clearly that when you look and compare what these men are suggesting and you compare it with Scripture, uh, there's no question that the, the, uh, the enemy is part of this whole system misleading people down this rabbit trail and uh, getting people hooked more and more uh, into this, this false doctrine. What I would like to ask uh, uh, people who hold to this kind of position, how do you explain... Uh, the many godly individuals in the New Testament that were some of the most godly men. Uh, I don't think that today there's any comparison, really, but yet these men were sick. So why were they sick and so godly at the same time? Nathan, let's use one or two examples. Look at uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 5. What verse? I think it's verse 23. Verse 23 says, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and thine own often infirmities. Yeah, here's Paul writing to Timothy, and clearly he has an ailment. Paul doesn't say, You should, man, you, you, you know, you, 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 you're entitled to good health. You know. uh, Paul even used uh, medicinal use of, of uh, wine to help with whatever um, bodily ailment he has. Some people believe with dysentery, some people believe it's a stomach problem. But notice that Paul is using what was a common um, medicine for that kind of thing. But he didn't say, Timothy, oh, get out of it, man. You, you need to have faith to have that removed. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 4.20. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20 says, Eurastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus mm-hmm. have I left at Miletum sick. Imagine that. This is Paul. If if everybody, every Christian should be healed and should not be sick, here's the Apostle Paul saying, I you know, I left this guy um and he's sick. If we are to be healed and we must not be sick, there's something wrong with the Apostle Paul. But anyone that would charge would charge Paul would uh have lack in faith. Uh, certainly would be one of the biggest ignoramuses that you'll ever meet. A man of, of faith, but yet he has an associate and he's not able to heal him. One other one, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 to 27. Epaphroditus. All right. Philippians chapter 2, 2, 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, by your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that he had heard that he had been sick. Verse 27, For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, 
but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. <laughs> Again, classic example, he was sick, but then Paul points out that God is the one that had mercy on him. Paul, Paul doesn't lay on ha- his hands on him and just tell him, be healed. Uh, so, when you take what these people are suggesting and, and, and compare it with um, uh, the scriptures, there is such a contrast. It's like light and darkness. And uh, one should be aware, uh, frankly, that we are dealing here with, with, with doctrine that is contrary to the standard orthodox belief of the Christian church. Pastor, we have a listener who sent in a question via WhatsApp from Antigua. Pastor, can you please explain 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, specifically the words, which are asleep? And I'll read that verse. Okay. Thessalonians four fifteen. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Well, again, uh, the word prevent is the biggest problem there, right? Uh, the word prevent, in the if you read it in the um, modern language, we realize that it doesn't mean prevent, they mean to hold back, right? You prevent something. But it really means the idea that will not precede. Okay. Right? So what are they saying? And them that sleep, by the way, are those that have died in the Lord. Um, so those that uh, those that are alive um, will come, will be raised after those that are asleep. That's that's basically what it's saying. We're not going forward. Is is those that are are dead asleep? And and by the way, that's the biblical term for the, the, the for death. Uh, the body sleeps. The spirit goes to be with the Lord, but the body sleeps. Our Lord brings back uh, the spirits of believers to join them back with his body at the, at the resurrection, at the rapture, and so they, they, they're they taken back. If you look at uh, Thessalonians, read it again at um, chapter 4. 4.15? Yeah, read that. The, the verse that they're asking about. For this we say... In the verses before as well. Uh, the verses before. Let me pull it yeah. up. Okay, so verse 13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Again, you see the expression there, sleep, sleep, sleep. It's talking about the body that's asleep. Now the Adventists teach that the soul sleeps. Uh, you heard soul sleep, but yeah. that's not the, the sleeping refers to the body asleep. Uh, but you, again, um, oh, um, uh, verse fourteen. For if we for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Notice he's bringing those that sleep. That's the spiritual spirit part. So when he, the spirits of those people come back with him to be joined to the body, because I don't know if people know this, but there's no humanity without a body. The that's why the body is redeemed. It's not just that the spirit is redeemed. No, the the and that's the difference between Christianity and Greek philosophy. By the way, the body was seen to be a prison, and that when a man died, he was finally liberated. There's no need for the body. And uh, don't want to get off into different theology, etc. But that's not the biblical teaching. The biblical teaching is that the whole man is redeemed, the spirit is redeemed, but the body awaits redemption because the body is decayed in the grave, and that will not happen until the Lord comes 
and uh, resurrects the body, joins the body back with the spirit, and then we who are alive and remain, we should be changed miraculously, and so we go to be with the Lord. That's the biblical teaching. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question via WhatsApp. We appreciate you listening and continue to encourage others to listen. We trust that that answer uh, answered your question satisfactorily using Scripture. If you want more follow-up, let us know, and specifically uh, how you would like it further expounded. Uh, Pastor, have you covered everything you wanted to on the core doctrines? Yeah, I think I've pretty much uh, substantially given what I would like to, to do. The, the only other little thing I would like to say is that these people take it very seriously about faith. They think that faith is like a substance. I'm, I'm dead serious. They believe that faith is something material. Uh, and uh, same way you would build a house, uh, you build reality out of faith, which is a, a substance. And the way, way to get it from is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Can you read that? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse, verse 1, 1 yeah. says... Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yeah. They take the word substance there, and they take that very literally. They, they say, you see, a sense of substance. But if you, and this is the danger, I keep telling, say, saying this in, in different forums, uh, and also from the pulpit, that if I w- was a person who was going to teach a new doctrine, uh, I've often said it, if I did not know either Greek or Hebrew, I'd be very silent. And the reason why I keep saying that is because all of these uh, cults that have started, most of them, started with people who are very, very ignorant of the original languages and found verses in the King James Version and built a whole doctrine on those things that were discovered that that is false. There's a classic example. The word substance there, anyone that takes the concordance, see that the word substance there means is the assurance that's what the word means. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's not the substance. It's not a, a substance of the material you can touch. Mm. But they've taken that word substance and uh, because it conjures up in the mind something that is tangible and something that's material, they have now made faith something of material, uh, tangible substance that you could tap into and you can use to actually make God your bellboy to do what you want. Once you know the laws of faith and how to get this uh, principle at work and get this substance to work for you, then you can tap into it. Um, but that's one of the, one of the other strange doctrines about the, the movement uh, that they've actually given um, literal sense of substance as a, a material that God creates the universe of and we also can use the same substance of faith to create our own reality. So from what you're saying in our everyday vernacular now, that verse should read, now faith is the assurance yeah. of things hoped for. And the certainty ev- of ev- of things not seen. Okay. That's not what it should be. That gives it more meaning. Yeah, more. Yeah. But don't remember, please remember, we're not trying to undermine the the King James. It's a language. That yeah. word did not mean substance, didn't mean what it means today. Uh, and, and that's the problem of not updating the language because language change. The word prevent for just a moment. I would take that out of the Bible because it seems as though we're going to prevent them. But that's not what it means. But again, if you take an old um, dictionary and see what that word meant uh, in the six, 1611, you'll see it, it doesn't mean what we mean today. Prevent means that we prevent something, we hold back something. It doesn't mean, it meant the very opposite. <laughs> but language change. And, and with language change, it means that our translation should change. The problem with that today, Nathan, though, is that there are people who believe that because the Lord has used the 1611 
uh, all these years, the mere suggestion to change a one word, you're tampering with God's word. So you could, you've now got another mess that is becoming called the King James only uh, group. That is, I mean, I, I can't understand that. I mean, common sense tells you that words change, and we want people to read the Bible and not have to run back to an old dictionary to find out what it means. That was the whole purpose of Koine Greek, as told you that it was the vernacular of the ordinary man in the street that he should understand. Now, because we are not brought up on the 1611, I don't have many children in the... Look, I did Shakespeare. I had had a glossary of terms of Shakespeare to understand. I did Chaucer. Lord help you if you ever do Chaucer. No, people understand that, but for some strange reason, when it comes to the translation of the Bible, there is a dread and a fear that you're tampering with the word and that has almost created another cult that's dividing the church in America and in the Caribbean it's a sign very very sad Satan will do what he can in order to divide the church and uh, if nothing else just to distract the forces <coughs> of the church from evangelizing the lost world Nathan I am convinced as the old I get there's a mastermind behind all this confusion a mastermind it's just not accidental Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.47. We have 13 minutes left in the program. So go ahead and send in your question if you have it. Uh, you can call and be put live on the air, one 462 7420 I realize I said that fast, so I'm going to give it to you again a little bit slower. one 468 462 7420. That's the phone number to be put live on the air. If you'd rather send your message via WhatsApp or text, you can send it to 1 268 782 1454. Thank you for those who have been interacting with us thus far, and we look forward to further interaction in the last 10 minutes or so of the program. We are discussing the Word of Faith movement, Prosperity Gospel, many different names that it goes by. But Pastor, many in this movement would talk about a positive confession. What is meant by that? Well, positive confession uh, really means somewhat what we've been talking about, that uh, you can speak spiritual truth and you can speak faith-filled words. And if you believe hard enough, whatever you speak, will come to pass because faith has power. The same way God created by faith and believing in what he said, if you believe in what you said, um, you can bring this to pass. So it's actually speaking positively. And when you do that, you release power that creates the reality that you you, you desire. Uh, What you believe and you confess, you receive from God. And uh, faith-filled statements have authority over the physical world so that you can create your own. You can, you can change your circumstances by just speaking positive, positively to it. Uh, you know, it, it's part of this positivity thinking that you see here on the, on the thing, you know, that uh, you, you, you speak po- positive things so that you can, you can change your world. It is part of that. It's a semantic game, but it is, it is part of the s- sorcery that has subtly because remember that sorcery is about using your mind and words to alter reality that is now coming to the church and the positive uh, confession movement is uh, making positive affirmative statements Uh, and when you make those statements by faith you actually sincerely can create your own world 
Uh, that is what they mean by positive confession. So if I want my environment to change, I want my circumstances to change, I need to speak positive words. Um, I don't have a headache today. I am on cloud nine. Uh, I feel good. I'm rich. <laughs> I'm rich. <laughs> so if I, I keep affirming those things and um, I tap into this, I must have faith I- in this, then these things would actually um, almost be transformed into what I want in terms of my own world of reality. Pastor, a follow-up from the question about First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, uh, explaining those which are asleep. Uh, the listener says, thank you very much for the explanation. Now, Jesus' response about Lazarus makes sense from John eleven eleven. And he sleepeth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is. I'm glad the person pointed that out as well. You know, because people need to understand. There's no contradiction in the Bible. When the Bible says absent for the Lord is absent for the body is to be present with the Lord, Paul talks about that. This human spirit, when we die, goes to be with the Lord. Our Lord dismissed the spirit. The Lord, uh, the Lord told the man and the thief on the cross, "Today shall thou be with where in paradise." In Corinth, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, when Paul is taken up to the third heaven, which he called paradise, that's where God is. Right? That's where the believer is. Uh, and then, of course, the body rests in the grave and will be resurrected. I repeat, there's no true, authentic humanity without the body. So God not only saves the spirit, he saves the body. Thank you very much for the individual who sent in that question. Keep listening. And Pastor, you are talking about the positive confession. On the flip side of that... The negative confession. They talk about that. Is there any truth to it? Well, the, the, the opposite of that, of course, is that uh, the way you speak and the way you think, uh, if you have negative thoughts, you can produce negative circumstances and negative realities. So if you say, I'm sick, or you're thinking in terms of disease or tragedy or death, uh, and you entertain those ideas in your mind, uh, you may discover that they actually will happen to you. So... Um, if you're with anybody who believes this kind of thing and uh, you say, I'm going to have a bad day, don't say that, please, please don't say that. <laughs> because I remember one person told me, um, i never forget this, a lady told me that the Muslims command the, the morning in Africa because they're the ones that get up first and they hear the shofar and they pray. So by their words, they command the day. I'm literally, a Christian told me that. Right? I was shocked. I, I, the only thing I didn't do was faint. But that gives you an idea of how um, this thing has really infiltrated into people's mind, and they're not really listen even into born again believers' minds. Of course, and this person is a born again. I have no question about yeah. that. I think what, is, what look the problem. Part of the problem today, with Nathan, is that really people are not in the Word. That's the reality. They're not in the Word. They're not reading the Word. They're not doing any Bible study, etc. The only Bible study they get when they come to church. So they're not they're not aware of what... And not only that, they're not reading relevant books that deal with our times and the issue of our times. We've got to keep current of what is going on. and Because if we don't know what is going on, we will fall for error and falsehood, etc., etc. And I think part of this lack of... Uh, serious Bible study and this lack of really keeping abreast with the religious trends and religious news, uh, by the time it gets our way, it's already infiltrated and uh, we are caught unawares and we need to, we need to be people of a discerning heart and discerning spirit. What I would say to uh, people who um, say these kind of things, what would you say of Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
and the negative thoughts that he said, Father, take away this cup from me, uh, you know, the cup of his death, you know. Uh, uh, what would you say when, uh, when he made uh, uh, other statements th- that you'll find in the Scriptures? For example, look at John twelve twenty seven for just a moment. Give you one or two of the negative confessions of Jesus. John twelve twenty seven yeah. says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Now, he should not say, I'm troubled, because by saying trouble, you're really going to get trouble now. So that's a negative confession. Look at Luke twelve fifty. I'm not sure if that's where this verse is going, but uh, as I turn there, I'm thinking of when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know if some would say that would be a negative confession. I, Luke twelve fifty says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Right. Again, that's a negative uh, confession there, right? And one other one, John sixteen thirty three. It says... These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. So don't but please don't say, <laughs> please don't say that because you make that's a negative confession. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually creating per, um, persecution for you because by mess making that negative statement. You see how ridiculous this is. But I mean, I just want to use well, maybe one or two others, and then we'll, we'll just move on from there. Uh, what about uh, Psalm eighty six, verse one? Psalm 86 and verse 1. A prayer of David and says, Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's so, look, religion has become so ridiculous and so that you can't help. It's so comical. I mean, to, to say to me that I, if, I, if I make a negative statement, I'm creating, I can create a, a negative world. Uh, look, what about Job? And some mm. of the, the outlandish statements that Job made when he was going to on the trial. So was was Job wrong? Was was Job out of God's will to make those kind of, of statements? And if we had time, uh, one last one. Look at Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine to ten. The Apostle Paul. Second Corinthians 12. twelve nine and ten. Second Corinthians twelve nine and ten says. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For I am weak, Then, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me. For I ought to have commanded you of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostle, though I'd be nothing. And verse 12 says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Yeah, you, you read that. I mean, if this thing is, is really true as they're saying, the apostle Paul certainly is... That's out of God's will, and he's having all this trouble. He brought them upon himself because he he negatively confessed. Uh, The thing is so ridiculous that it's embarrassing to actually mention it almost in public, that to believe that uh, people who hold the biblical truth and are reasonable and sensible and have anything between the two ears 
would fall for such nonsense. But that's where we are uh, currently when it comes to the religious world. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. And Pastor, as we wrap up the program this evening, can you again, and I I keep repeating this question, but I want to make sure that everyone listening understands what the Bible says. What is true salvation? I don't want us just to be criticizing religion, but I want us to give the answer. What is the answer to man's problems? The answer to man's problem is Jesus Christ. Um, God's plan, because of man's sin and man's rebellion against God, God has provided a a way that man can be forgiven and pardoned. You go back to the fall in the book of Genesis, where man was created perfect, man was tested, man fell away from from God and uh, got into sin. And from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promised that one would come who would bruise the serpent's head. This is the Messiah that you can trace his line throughout the Bible, and then he comes uh, in the New Testament. He came and he died on the cross. He makes salvation available to us if we put our faith and trust in him and repent of our sins. So if we want to know God and we want to receive Christ and we want to be saved, we have to be willing to accept the saving truth of the atoning blood of Christ and his death on our behalf that we can be pardoned and we can receive forgiveness and eternal life. Do I need to add anything to it? No, very simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Can I add anything to it? To add, it's to distort the truth and uh, there's judgment for distorting truth. So you're saying that I don't have to be a member of a church in the sense that that's not what earns me salvation. There's only salvation in Christ outside of church, in church. It doesn't matter. You've got to put your faith and trust in Christ. And after you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you become the body of Christ and you become a member of a church because Christ died for his church and loved his church, established his church, and has commissioned his church. Thanks for listening tonight. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.